0: to power producers shop talk where we are refining and redefining the sales game by equipping you with the tools you need to differentiate yourself in the marketplace tactical skills that will help you provide deliverable value to your clients and prospects
1: here these are conversations that will differentiate you from your competition now if you don't want to be different than your
0: competition probably should just go ahead and shut this up. <laughs> and action items that you can provide to take your prospects and clients to the next level
2: like when we audit the mod and get into and the mod master and and give them the actionable items that they can that they can do in order to lower their cost of risk
0: this is power producers shop talk production redefined
2: reasonable and what wasn't, and and I think that, you know, that's that's spot on, and, you know, these people that we're talking with don't necessarily understand what their exposures are and what they can even do about them, um, you know, when they're uncovered, so I I do like that what we're able to provide is something tangible, action items that they can do.
0: Are you ready to feel the power? Hey, everybody, welcome
1: to Power, producer shop talk episode double deuce 22 mm. Mm. man we've been recording a lot of stuff this year considering a lot of stuff, we started man. considering you started in april oh, yeah yeah um,
2: we've been going nuts
1: we're going to hit 100 by the end of the year which is you know which That's makes me strong. wonder why do we only have 23 reviews on iTunes got to get more reviews you know, you know I, don't, I don't know. i just i went there today thinking Maybe some people listened and we made an impact on their life. And what I found was some jackleg that gave us a two-star review and typed a bunch of gibberish as their comments. And cool, not a, yeah, good move, bro. We know who you are. Yeah, you must have forgotten. We trace everybody's IP addresses with everything we do. But anyhow, you know, I wanted to take a couple minutes and talk about some of what we. We're just introduced in the last episode where we were talking about how you build good client carrier relationships. Because one of the things that I've learned over the course of the last six months, eight months, is nobody knows how to onboard middle market accounts if they've never sold one before. Sure. Never, really. never really thought about that. You know, I'm helping. Well, people. I mean, the,
2: most of, most of what goes into it is, is just thinking about how to get the deal done, not necessarily what comes after that.
1: Right. And that's not as simple as just binding coverage, getting it entered into the AMS and calling it a day. So I'm going to share some things that I've run into over the course of my career that I recommend people do when they're working on middle market accounts. Now, listen, if this accounts $25,000 in premium, even though we could classify that as middle market, that's not really what we're talking about. We're talking about your jumbo hundred and some thousand in premium plus you really need to take a different angle in terms of how you do this. So the one I wanted to start off with, and I did mention in our last episode that as you're having this kickoff meeting, you needed to have people there. You needed to have loss control people from the carrier. You need to have the underwriter. You need to have claims and you Mm -hmm. need to have audit. And I want to start with audit because I think that's the one that a lot of people would never think about. And what's crazy is, People don't think about it yet. That's many times the wedge that's used to get them in the door to get the deal. Oh, how's your audit go? My audit was terrible. My agent never prepares me for it. Oh, well, let me tell you what we would do for audit. Well, then they go in and they may have some things that they do for audit, but specific to workers' comp, man, if you don't have it coded right and the auditor feels differently, you're going to have a difficult time winning that battle. So I like to bring somebody from audit in, unless it's absolutely vanilla, right? Now, if I'm going mm-hmm. to a resort and that resort has people in the hotel code and they have a restaurant, maybe they have um, some exposure there, they have office exposure for the people who are literally doing nothing but working in the office, answering phones, whatever else, I'm probably not going to mess with it. Sure. But I'll give you an example. I've got one you know, I do have a resort. I'm kind of guess I brought that up by accident, but but needed to. They have a driving range on the resort. That's a whole different code that was never on there before, and so they got hit with it at audit, and they were surprised. And that's one of the things that we fixed the first year that I represented them was making sure that those people were taken care of right. But you know, the reason Get your why
2: ass on that driving range, <laughs> no can do,
1: hombre. <laughs> The, the the reason I like to include them on the front end is because if there is going to be a dispute on class codes or what the audit's going to contain, I want to get that addressed up front. So I'm going to tell you a story about something that happened to one of my accounts, how we resolved it, mm-hmm. and hopefully everybody can learn from it. So I have an account that I had worked with you know, several years ago, had quite a few different class codes, it's an account that I talk about uh, for a variety of reasons, but this this particular account is the one that manufactures the plastic clamshells for the produce. We were actually just talking about it with Dave Jackson when we were on, on, uh, recording his episode. But right. they had sev- they have several things that go on in that operation. One of them is they extrude. Well, if you're not familiar with extrusion, then you wouldn't understand this, but. Extrusion is basically taking plastic pellets, melting them down, and then rolling them into thin sheets of plastic that are then turned onto a – I don't know what you call it, man. I don't know if you call it a bale or what, but it's a big – it basically looks like a giant thing of cellophane that's like six foot tall.
2: (laughs) I mean, is there really anybody out there that's not familiar with extrusion?
1: Uh, (laughs) Yeah. But then what happens is it goes into the therm- the thermoforming, right? So they take these big rolls of plastic and they uh, they they change those out and then that ro- that sheet is what goes through the thermoformer which heats it up and punches it and shapes it into the clamshell form that's the end game. And then they also have an operation where a por- portion of their operation where they print the labels for the clamshell containers. And so they actually print labels for the plastic stuff that they're making, but they also print labels for farmers who don't buy clamshells from them because it's not a size that they make. And so they have to get it from a different area. Mm -hmm. So we went through and I, you know, honest to God, I never even had thought about it. This is the first time I had had to deal with something like this. And this is probably, I don't know, nine or 10 years ago at this point, but we moved the comp carrier and when we did, the carrier's lost. Or the carriers auditor came in and they decided that the people who were in the printing area needed to be placed in the governing class code, which was the extrusion code, which is the most expensive. And I couldn't understand why. It didn't make sense to me. The argument was that they were all under the same roof. My argument was, well, then why aren't the thermoformers also under the extrusion code? Because they should be. There should be two different codes there. Well, that, that didn't happen. Um, and so basically, it, it, it's crazy because where the where the printing area was, it was completely fenced off. You had to have an ID card to get in there. Like You weren't going to accidentally end up in the printing area. You had to be assigned to that that's area. That's stupid and logic.
2: Why? Just because they're under the same roof, would they need to be in the same code? There's, I, mean, it's,
1: it's, I don't know. You know, it doesn't make sense to us, but not right. everything in, in the world of comp does. So we actually had to get NCCI involved. Uh, NCCI hmm. sent their field auditor out and their auditor came to check to see what was going on. And I can tell you people, if you've never been through an NCCI class code audit, I highly recommend that if you have that opportunity, you sit through it because what ended up happening was, you know, and I don't want to get too far sidetracked, but I, I developed a relationship as best you can going through that with the auditor. And then that same auditor audited three more of my clients over the course of the next two or three years. Hmm. So she already knew who I was. I already knew who she was. And it wasn't, there wasn't any animosity at that point. And I was up front with her when she came in. I said, I really don't know why Zenith wants this. Well, as it turned out, um, NCCI ended up siding with the carrier and said, no, because of the rule, there is a rule of how it's set up. And because they're paid from the same entity, then they have to be under the governing code. But... If you move all of those employees to a completely different FEIN number and, and pay them out of that, you can use that code. You can use the printing code for them instead of the other. So crazy thing. Essentially, what we ended up having to do is we set up another entity with its own FEIN. All it did was pay people that were in the printing area. But that's how we got the issue resolved.
2: So obviously, there was a massive difference in rate.
1: Huge difference in rate. Yeah. And so the moral of the story is, take the auditor from the carrier out before. If the auditor would have gone out ahead of time and they would have seen the operation and they would have raised these questions, I wouldn't have had to deal with it. My client wouldn't have had to deal with it at the end of the policy period because we already would have known the answer.
2: We might have talked about this when we brought it up um, in the episode uh, for this week or last week or whenever that was, but... With a lot of these companies using third-party auditors, how are you able to coordinate that and make it as seamless as possible? Or is it just in situations where the carrier themselves are doing the audits because it's a, a big enough client? In my experience,
1: there's always somebody at the carrier who's responsible for audit, whether they're actually physically going out and auditing or not. Mm-hmm. You know, Example, I just... I just had I left an audit meeting this morning with one of my clients where they had a massive swing in their audit and it never should have happened because they're on monthly self-reporting. Right. Well, somebody at the client made the decision that they weren't going to report any payroll in 5606, which is the executive supervisor code. We had just added the code on the prior policy period because they do have five or six people that are exactly the definition of executive supervisor. They talk to clients, they go out, they talk to the foreman on the job site, they do not engage in any work, they don't lift a hammer, none of that stuff, but they're also not in the office all the time. We had to we had to code them as executive supervisors. These people are also some of the highest compensated people in the company.
2: So were they just put in the other code, the the field code versus? No, I think they were put in the sales code
1: for reporting, which was a huge no-no. But number two, um, when the auditor came in, it pushed them into the plumbing code. It's like 5x the rate. So my client has this, they have all these highly compensated people who don't do any plumbing or any HVAC work, but they're pushed into that class code and it resulted in a nasty additional premium. That case, the audit was done by an outsourced audit firm. But when I had to dispute the audit and bring it up, there's a person that's the head of audit for this carrier. Gotcha. And that's the person that I initiated all of that with. Now, for a learning experience, for those of you out there that, that run into things like this, one of the things that needs to happen is you need to be in communication with the HR people at your clients because. The reason that all of this happened on this audit, this with this particular account, is is really easy. We added fifty six oh six, but the HR person didn't go to the payroll company and then say, "We need you to add fifty six oh six to our fifty six oh six to our list of codes." And these are the people that are in there, so that when they were key, running the payroll reports to key it in every month, no payroll registered in fifty six oh six, so they had no reason to um they had no reason to 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 enter it or to think they needed to enter it so it's an easy fix but again if we didn't include audit you know if we would have included audit at the beginning which we technically did because this all was addressed in last year's audit it was just a it was just a fluke in that it didn't get reported to the payroll company the right way
2: so mm-hmm. makes sense. you know
1: participate in the audits, people. You can learn a lot. I mean, early on when you joined me, man, I had you at a couple of audits pretty quick because I really, wanted you like, to see. Like
2: within, I don't even know. I don't even know if I was, it could have been more than like a month.
1: No, it wasn't. I don't even know you had your license yet, but right. I told you, I was like, hey, I'm getting ready to go out to an audit. It would make sense yeah. for you to come sit through this the thing. AT, with me the AC company. Yeah, it'll make, it'll make sense to you down the road. Right, absolutely. Guys, it, it, you're not doing that, you need to, because there's a lot of things that can happen. I mean, there's been times where an outsourced auditor will want to flag one of my clients for not having proof of coverage for workers' comp. Well, I'll just go to the Department of Financial Services website, pull up proof of coverage and show it to them. Yeah, my client should have a certificate, but if I can show you that there was uninterrupted coverage by going to the state website, then I save my client additional premium as a result. Mm Mm-hmm. You will gain more credibility. Even if you just sit there, ask a couple of questions to make it look like you know what you're talking about and do that to participate, you're going to gain credibility like you couldn't imagine with your client. But you're also going to drive positive financial results for them too, because you can eliminate a lot of back and forth by just being there when they do it. You can eliminate, eliminate even more if you can have the audit person from the carrier in the onboarding meeting at the beginning and that's really all i have to say about it man i can't belabor that point anymore but the auditor is somebody that is often overlooked until they actually show up to do the audit then you hate their guts mm. they're not bad people man you just got to you got to understand how to work them and deal with them and make sure that you include them yep whisper whisper in their ear tell them they're special you know what i'm talking about little dickle yeah <laughs> throw them easy that would be george dickle yeah.
0: <laughs> don't need
1: anybody thinking we got a speech, imped- a speech impediment or something I mean, we're not going down that road uh, <laughs> anyhow God. listen people reviews number one number two auditor include them always see ya